Well, tonight I'm going to carry on uh, our series um, called The Disciple, uh, you know, answering the, the, the question, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus in our particular day? And the subject I'm going to look at today is obedience, obedience, obeying Jesus. Because, I mean, if you think about it, to follow Jesus is to go where he goes, it's to do what he says. Um, and uh, I get it. I think obedience is not a popular word in our day. In our day, that is pretty much anti-authority. <laughs> that's right, yeah, that's what it means. In our day, that is, that is pre-anti-authority, anti-establishment, you know. Um, and rightly so, because we just have very terrible leaders often in, in places. Um, uh, and we are, um, I guess, casualties of maybe bad leadership. I, I can understand the hesitancy, but, you know, we want to declare that Jesus is a good leader. <laughs> he's, a, he's a good king to follow. But initially, when we hear obey... Um, you know, like we say to our children, obey straight away and with a good attitude. You know, that's how we asked our kids to obey. It's, it's not just fine to do what I say with a bad attitude. That equals disobedience. Like the bar is pretty high in terms of obedience in our home. But I would say because God is a bigger and stronger and more worthy person to obey than myself, I would say the bar to obey Jesus is probably even higher. But yet Jesus, you know, is a way better leader than I am, than, than all of us are. And uh, we love the aspect of the gospel that speaks about grace. You can't earn your salvation. We, lo we love the fact that God is a forgiving God. He made a way for us through what Christ has done for us on that cross. He bore our guilt for disobeying him upon himself. He was perfect. We'll, we'll end with that statement of his perfect obedience and the good news that is for us. And so we love it as a church, as people who preach grace, to, to major on that. Otherwise, we don't want to fall into legalism. Oh, you're telling us we have to obey uh, you know, a set of rules? Like That sounds counter-gospel. And I heard a, a person once describe it, a preacher once, saying that that's kind of like vampire Christianity. What do I mean by that? Vampire Christianity is when you follow Jesus only at his expense. In other words, you know, you're abusing his grace. It, it cost him his life. So a vampire Christian is someone who just uses Jesus for his blood, Okay. Because his blood washes away my sin, you know. We, we just use him for his blood, but we reject his call to follow us and to die to ourselves because of his death for us in our place. You, so there's this tension here. I don't want, to, I don't want today to be a, a, a day where we talk about obedience and everybody thinks, okay, this is what it means to be a Christian, is you must follow all the rules. But certainly when we understand grace and what Jesus has done for us and the blood that he has shed for us, the natural response, as we would learn hopefully today, is to say, what do you want me to do, Lord? How do you want me to do it? That, that would be the correct response, not just using him for his shed blood and rejecting his call to follow him and to die to ourselves. So let's read some verses together. We're going to have quite a few verses uh, tonight, but they'll all be up on the screen. So if you have your Bibles, great, turn to Matthew chapter 16. Otherwise, check it out on the screen. Verse 24 of Matthew 16. I'll wait for you, babes. I had water. I, I still do. There it is. Jesus told his disciples, this is the call. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That was, that's what it means to follow Jesus. So let's go to Matthew 28. This is the great commission. This is, this is the basis for us as a church in terms of our manifesto. The 11 disciples, verse 16 in, in Matthew 28, they went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Immediately, 
This looks like obedience. Hey, Jesus, go there. The disciples go, yes. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Okay, so again, they are worshipping Jesus because he is worthy of worship. Therefore, he's worthy of following to the extent that he say, deny yourself, do what I say. Jesus came to them and said, here's another one. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I mean, I could basically say, amen, and we can go home. Because this is, this is Jesus saying, I'm the king of the universe. <laughs> okay, it's layer upon layer, reasons why we should obey our Lord. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, I'm reading from the NIV here. I think you've got the ESV up on, this, on the screen. The ESV just says, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded. And then he says, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So whether it's the word obey, if the word observe, you can see elsewhere in the ESV, the same word is used when it says maintain something or to keep something. It, kind of, it means the same thing. It's why the NIV came out with obedience, obey. And so this means that, yes, Jesus cannot be a life coach, which everybody wants him to be that. He's not some sort of mystic sage to guide a person giving mere perspectives in terms of how you should and shouldn't live. He's not a consultant. He's a king. What Jesus, he, all authority has been given to him. They worshipped him, obeyed him. Why? Because he is Lord, because he is master, because Jesus is leader. Yes, he's our savior, but scripture says he's our Lord and savior. And if that's true, then life, lives lived for Jesus is less about getting perspective from him and actually more about saying, Lord, do I have permission in a sense? Because you, you're in charge. And by the way, there is no point in obeying a dead guy. We just had the resurrection Sunday. Jesus said here at the end of Matthew 28, and behold, I'm with you to the very end of the age. You don't give an account to a dead guy. There are lots of great teachers that have walked to the face of the earth. They all died, okay? Jesus, the Bible says, one day will come back and we, humanity will give an account, okay? He's, he's Lord of heaven. So, so the fact that he's with us to the very end of the age and it meaning, means that we would give account to this one who's been given all authority that is worthy of worship. He is Lord. And Jesus did give a bunch of commands and instructions. There were moments when he summarized it up. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. The law and the prophets are summed up in loving. We understand that, but he also expounded on that, what that looks like. And one of the greatest bodies of teachings of Jesus is found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's called the Sermon of the Mount. Sermon? I said on the mount. I said of. Who am I to argue with my wife? Yes, Lord. Yes, love. love Lord, love. I obey you, babes. <laughs> no, you can't. It's on the internet forever. So, <laughs> Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is the sermon on the mount. Jesus, in many ways, shares his yoke. Okay, he's burdened. He's, you know, when you were yoked with Jesus, it was, a, it was code for teaching that the rabbis would have given. He was sharing his teaching, his burden for his disciples to bear. And his commands in Matthew chapter 7, at the end of this, this uh, um, teaching of him, this body of teaching, ends with shocking words, friends. 
It should, it should rattle us as when we hear it, okay? Matthew 7, verse 21. I think it might be up on the screen. If it's not, he first says, Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will, en- will enter in will in- the, the kingdom of heaven. Okay? So in other words, there is the appearance. When someone says, Lord, Lord, okay, they, they're saying, you're my Lord. It sounds right. He says, but no, the one who does the will of my Father. In other words, the obedient (laughs) children. It it should shock us a little bit. Play this out. Children obey parents, right? And he talks here about my father. In other words, we are, as Christians, that's been adopted into God's family through what Christ has done. We are kids. We are children of our heavenly father. And parents obey children. So it's scary here, too, because it tells us you can be doing the Christian stuff and still not be a legitimate Christian. You can still be disobedient. You can be a false disciple, as some of the commentators say here. Like, so there's true disciples and there's false disciples. And Jesus is saying, you can kind of see who it is. This is a weird verse because it kind of emphasizes the mighty works that these people do. You know, in your name, we cast out demons and, you know, we prophesied. And so it's, and, and the reality is, is that you could do some of those things even in the scriptures we see by, by the enemy, by the power of Satan. Okay, so it's not about that. Jesus is actually talking here about a life that looks like submission to him, that it looks like obedience. Again, let's read verse 24 of chapter 7. Because Jesus ends it by saying this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, right? Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So here Jesus defines obedience for us. What does obedience look like? Hearing and doing. Not everybody who says, Lord, Lord. Hearing and doing. And the fruit of hearing his words and doing what he asks us to do, what's the fruit of that? It's a wise human being who has a steady life that can withstand the storms that is thrown at us. Jesus carries on, or or actually the the, the chapter carries on. This is what they said of Jesus in verse 29 of chapter 7. Jesus was teaching them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. I've always thought about this. Why does this tell us that Jesus taught differently to the scribes? The scribes had all the rules and the regulations, all the, all the lists of things to do and not to do. I think it's because Jesus, number one, practiced what he preached. I mean, we know he's holy. He was perfectly obedient. And so there's a sense that our obedience, our holy lives, are actually lives that gives credibility to the power of the gospel to change us. So that actually when we live as well, that people also go, man, you're different to other people that just says you should do this and shouldn't do that. I think that's, that's what happens when we obey Jesus, that there's this credibility that comes to, on our lives as well. Proverbs 12, 26, I love what this says. I was actually going through my journal this morning, and I, I found this verse. I'm like, oh, I'm going to throw this into my sermon. Um, it says, the one who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor. <laughs> I love that. And if you think about Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus kicks it off. Before he launches into his teaching, he says, you are the salt of the earth. When, you, know, when you make people thirsty for God. You, you preserve this world by your presence, your holy presence. He says, you are the light of the world. When people find themselves in darkness, when you obey me, 
in a sense. You are a light in dark areas. So there is, I agree with this, the righteous is a guide to his neighbor. We have authority to share the gospel when we obey Jesus because it gives the gospel credibility. Like it truly brings about transformation in our lives. And Jesus goes on in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I mean, he deals with anger, how we should you know, view anger. He talks about lust, sexual immorality, marriage. He speaks about uh, loving and forgiving our enemies, uh, not retaliating. He talks about honesty, uh, you know, not making oaths and not keeping, uh, let your yes be yes and your no be no. He talks about prayer and fasting, about generosity, how we should give, about how we should view our possessions, why we shouldn't be stressed and anxious, why we shouldn't judge others. We should treat others the way we want to be treated. I mean, Jesus lays it all out there. There is a way that we ought to live in obedience to him. So I've only got three big W's today, okay? Three ones. The first one is why. The second one is worship. And the last one is warning. So the question is why? Why then? Why should we be obedient? I've alluded to that to some extent already. You should be able to answer this question if I stop preaching right now. But let's keep going. 1 Peter 1, verse 14 to 16 this is one of Jesus' disciples, Peter, okay? He, he, he sat under Jesus' teaching firsthand, and he writes this, As obedient children, remember, kids obey their parents. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Again, there is mission built into our obedience. We are representing Jesus. We're representing our King. You know, summer is upon us. And we know that because everybody's out gardening. Right? Did you see the gardening and walking? But gardening, certainly, I just saw you know, so many people out chucking soil out, you know, starting to poke holes into their, into their lawn. And, you know, this is the season. And I was reminded of Matthew 13 when Jesus shared the parable of the sower and, and the different soils upon which the seed falls. And so we learn from that parable that, number one, our hearts are like soil. All right, That's what our hearts are like. You would agree with me? Number two, we know that the gospel is like seed. The good news of what Christ has done for us, it is the seed that is thrown in. But then I would say that the commands of Jesus, the Matthew 5 to 7 of Jesus, and even Jesus himself talks about the cares of this world, living according to this culture, which one Peter here, he says, hey, he who called you uh, is holy, so you live holy. Don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. And we'll read later in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, right? Uh, and so Jesus' commands are, uh, he's asking us to be countercultural, follow him, not follow the world. And they are like the acts of weeding out the weeds or, or pulling out the weeds because the weeds choke the seeds. Okay, so, so in many ways, our acts of obedience is the gardening bit. Our hearts are the soil, the seed is the gospel, and our obedient lives, in many ways, is the gardening. It's the, it's the keeping the soil free from the weeds because the weeds will choke the seed, which is the gospel. Does it make sense? And so the results of obedience, the results of this weeding is good fruit, is growth in your life. Godly growth, which what you want, right? So that's, the, that's I think, the answer to, to why is number one, is the, is the growth. Number two is the next W, is worship. Worship. 
Let me ask you this question. What does worship look like? Unfortunately, I think in our kind of performance-driven or sort of experience culture, like, oh, we want to, we want to ch- chase experiences. Sometimes the answer that Christians would give to this question, what is worship, is, well, it's basically being in a room with other people with our eyes closed and our hands raised high, singing songs to Jesus. So often that is the shallow definition of worship. It is something we do, certainly, in our worship of Jesus, but that does not equal worship. Let's be careful that we don't limit worship to that one action. John 14, verse 15, Jesus says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Romans 12, verse 1 to 2, I alluded to that a moment ago, but this is what it says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, your whole lives, your bodies, everything, as living, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Which is your spiritual worship? There it is. Presenting your bodies, your whole life, all of you to Him. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, after Romans 12, 1 to 2, it gives us a definition that actually obedience to the Lord is, is actually worship. To not be conformed to the, to the world, obedience to the Lord, hopefully I got that right, is worship. He then goes in Romans 12, verse 3 to 6, we're not going to read that, but he goes into the fact that God gives us gifts of grace. We're like members of a body. In every member has member body part has something to do. And he says some serve, and there's acts of mercy, there's teaching, there's exhorting, there's prophecy, there's showing mercy, there's blessing your enemies. He just lists a few. It's not an exhaustive list. And again, that doesn't mean hands raised high, singing songs to Jesus. It's living your life on display in obedience to Jesus. And then this is amazing. I didn't even speak to uh, Mike about what, which passages I'm going to read. He knows I was going to preach on obedience, but he just came and he just did Romans 12, the marks of a Christian, right? This is, this is what I wanted to, to, to look at, Romans 12, 9 to 1. So Romans 12 starts off by saying, offer your bodies up as, as living sacrifices. This is your spiritual worship. God's given you gifts, things to do for him in obedience to him. And then the marks of a Christian is what we read during our time of confession. So powerful. I was like, thank you, Jesus. I don't have to go there. Mike went there. There was an opportunity for us to go, Lord, I disobeyed you in holding a grudge. I disobeyed you in not showing honor where I needed to. I disobeyed you because I thought I was wise in my own eyes. I was proud. Lord, I disobeyed. Like, that's what, that's, what we, that's, that's what we did. And so think about it. Obedience, really, its true meaning you know, only kicks in when you do something well, you're asked to do something that you don't want to do, but you do it anyway because you obey. So, so, so often, you know, we, we think it's obedience when we do the things we like to do, we want to do. But actually there are things, especially in our culture, that we, when we follow Jesus 100%, it's not going to play out well for us in certain areas. Our friendship circle might shrink a little bit. We might be misinterpreted. We might lose people, friends altogether. Who knows? Maybe our job will be on the line. There are certain things that Jesus asks of us, and true obedience to Jesus is actually only ever measured 
in doing something you don't feel like doing, but you know you should because he asked you to do that. That's where, it's got some teeth to it, hey? It's, it's, you know, it's easy to say I obey Jesus, but I only do the things I like to do and I want to do. And, and if they're in sync with what Jesus says, then yeah, that's the sum total of my obedience. But there's certain things that I, oh, actually, it's either 100% or none, right? So can you see, therefore, I think that worship is not just, you know, a Hillsong album on repeat, you know, with your eyes closed and your hands raised. It, it, it's way more than that. It's living in a way that Jesus asks of for you to live it involves all of you every moment of your day so that's the second one worship and the last one warning because there is a warning here i, I want to just say oh you know you might walk if you walk away right now it's too soon you got to hear the end of this message because the warning is you can only win in obedience with the gospel you need the gospel to actually win you. So the warning is don't just go out here and say, right, I'm going to obey. I'm going to white knuckle resolve. I'm going to get this right. Actually, whoa, 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 whoa. You need the gospel to actually survive this charge to obey the Lord. And Romans 12:1 started with a clue, a hint to that. It says, I appeal to you by what? I appeal to you by the mercies of God. Paul actually spent 11 chapters unpacking how glorious the gospel is. We're all sinners. We need a savior. Everyone sins. Everyone's lost. There's no hope for us. And God made a way. And that's when he gets to Romans 12. He says, okay, now, by the mercies of God that I have laid out with you. I mean, it's a deep, rich theology book. We just, in our seeing Jesus together, just climbed out of Romans into Corinthians. It's, it was amazing. But it's, he's basically saying, now that you understand God's mercy, okay, now we can talk obedience. And that's what I want to leave with you as well. Like, yes, I started off with obedience, but I'm saying, whoa, 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 whoa. You need to get the mercy of God. Because Christians know obedience is not what got us in to God's family. Nobody can claim, yes, it's because of my good track record, my obedience that I got in. No, it was a gift given to us. To be a son and a daughter, to be adopted into God's family, to be forgiven. We didn't earn forgiveness. It was given to us as a gift, grace apart from works. Because grace is opposed to earning your salvation, to earn your status in God's family. That's what grace is. No, you do not earn it. But we get it wrong when we think grace is opposed to effort. Because when you understand grace completely, when you understand what God has done for you, how much it cost him, you actually will find yourself saying, what can I do? What can I do to serve him? What can I do to worship him, right? Because we know Titus chapter 2, this is what it says, verse 11 to 12. You still with me, friends? It says this, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. It's a gift. You bring gifts. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. This is telling us that grace, the mercy and the grace of God, grace is the thing that enables you to obey. <laughs> grace is the trainer. It trains us. You need to understand God's mercy and God's grace in order to obey Him. Otherwise, yeah, you're going to be crushed by the weight of having to do that. You need to understand the gospel. And isn't that just the best way, God's grace, the best way to win us over, to make obedient kids of our Heavenly Father. I mean, paying the ultimate price for us, number one, we owed it. We owe God. We committed high treason against the King of the universe, rebellious, autonomous, like I do what I want, kids, all right? So we owed a holy God, and, and we didn't deserve 
him paying it in our place. But he did it anyway for us. You know, we celebrated one of our kids' birthdays um, this year, this, this week. We went out to a, a nice restaurant uh, one evening. And the server actually scratched off our desserts. She, 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 she came to us and said, listen, it's on the house. You guys waited long for your main course. All right, we ordered starters as well. So we really didn't deserve that. We were quite happy for the gap between our entrees and our, oh, actually, it's entree the mains. Help me out here. Uh, our hors d'oeuvres. Yeah, our horse d'oeuvres. Our hors d'oeuvres. We, 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 there was a big, we needed that gap so that that could settle a little, and then the mains came. But she felt so bad that she took so long with the main course. And, and because of that, she scratched off the dessert. She's like, it's, it's on the house. And we're like, no, 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 no. It was really She's like, it's on the house. Guess who got a big tip that night? Huh? It's how it works. It's, 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 a, it's a picture of when, you, when someone undeservingly do something for you, give you something. What's your response? I mean, it shouldn't be, oh, pocket that, thank you very much. I mean, that's cheap. And I, actually, you know, you, you, there's, there's, Jesus can soften that heart too, okay? But the, the general response, okay, the general one is like, well, I want to be generous back. I want to give more. That's the best way to be won over. That's what God has did for us. That's what he's done for us. He, he gave everything. He gave of himself, generous, did not earn it, did not deserve it. He gave it anyway. What's the appropriate response? I want to obey you. I want to live for you. You gave your life for me. I want to give my life for you. So yes, friends, I do believe that there are things that you should be doing as a Christian. As your pastor, as your leader who loves and cares for you, I want you to do the things that Jesus asks you to do. But the question is, would God love you more if you do them? No, because you know the gospel. The mercy of God tells us that He doesn't love you based on your obedience, in spite of your disobedience. Okay, so you understand that. I want you to do these things. But God will not love you more if you do them. You know what will happen? You will love God more. <laughs> That's what will happen. When you obey... God does not love you more, but actually you will end up loving God more. When you come to church, gather and prioritize this, I know you will love Jesus more. When you open your Bible, when you pray, when you're generous, when you forgive, when you do what Jesus asks you to do because he's your Lord, trust me, you will love him more. He already loves you more than most. He, he, he wins, okay? You're not earning his love but you actually will find yourself loving him more. John 14, verse 15. And that's the blessing of obedience. That's what I leave with you. Like to obey, you, there's a blessing that comes with that. We, we read already 14, verse 15. If you love me, you know, if you worship me, you'll keep my commandments. That is actually followed by verse 16. It says, and I will ask the Father. This is Jesus asking the Father, and you're now a son and daughter because of the gospel adopted in. It says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Flip, guys, this is amazing. This is just amazing. It's like if you love me, you will obey my commands. By the way, I will make it possible for you to do that. I will ask the Father to give you the helper, give you the Holy Spirit. This is amazing grace. He gives you what you need to follow him. When God gives you the Holy Spirit that empowers you to obey Jesus, who gets the credit when you obey? 
He, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, as the giver of the Spirit. So, so you, obedience results in worship if you obey from a place of the gospel where you receive the gift of the Spirit. You don't earn it. He earned it for me. I receive it. That's it. The Holy Spirit's in me, and He's my helper. He helps me love the Lord more by obeying Him. I mean, it's just grace from start to finish. Isn't it good news? That's why I said, be careful to just walk out. You say, I must obey. You cannot win unless you have the gospel. Because God, you know, He doesn't take you and me as caterpillars and, and, and says, okay, you're going to become a butterfly. And He just, come, fly, get up, caterpillar, let's move, fly, grow wings. No, He takes us into the chrysalis. Like that's when Jesus says, if you want to follow me, die. Die to yourself. And, and, and then He makes us a new creation. Nicodemus asked him about like, you know, following Jesus and Jesus started speaking about the spirit of God that blows like the wind wherever it wishes, you know, and, and then he talks about being born again, being born of the spirit. That's what happens, okay, is, is, is that you receive the spirit of God and you are born again. You're a new creature, a new creation with new desires to live for Jesus and to follow him. Again, you didn't do it. He does it. He's so good. That's why baptism is so important. I'm just going to plug baptism just very quickly. Uh, baptism is an obedient action because Jesus, the, one of the marks of his ministry is that he baptized. There's one, one line in the gospel that says, you know, um, Jesus was starting to baptize more followers than John the Baptist. It was a mark of his ministry to the point that in Matthew 28, when Jesus said to his disciples, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, what did the disciples do? They baptized people. Baptism is actually one of the first things that Jesus told us to do. So it's not only an obedient action, but it's also a sign of your commitment to Jesus, of ongoing obedience. Sometimes people say, oh, God's not speaking to me. I feel like God's silent. I remember Alan Frau. I mean, I wasn't even married yet. I remember him throwing this out in a sermon once on worship. And he said, go back to the last thing God told you to do and ask, have I done it? Because sometimes we're like, oh, the Lord's not speaking to me. Sometimes it's because we're disobedient. The last time he spoke to us, we ignored his instruction. He's like, okay, I'll wait. You know what's one of the first things he told us to do? It's to get baptized. And so if you're here today and you haven't been baptized as a follower of Jesus, you've said, yes, I will receive the gift that Jesus has given me. Baptism is an, an enactment of what you, you said you do. It's a public declaration. It's like a first trial. Like I'm going to live for Jesus. My first thing is I'm going to invite my friends and family and show them publicly with my clothes on. Maybe, you know, in Canada, you can get baptized with your wallet in your, because the, you can wash the money in Canada. It's amazing. But that's how it should be. Sometimes people get baptized with their wallets. I'll say, yeah, I'll, I'll follow you, Jesus. Just don't touch my bucks. No. Wallet, watch, you know, wedding ring, book in. You know, it's, it's, it's saying, I will obey Jesus. I'm, I, I have died to self. And when I come up out of the water, I am living for Jesus. Jesus died in my place, and he was resurrected so I could live a new life for him. So, friends, go to our website if you haven't been baptized. It's starting to get warm. You never know, retreat weekend, maybe another time. We're going to start dunking again. And I want to say, do it, because it's, it's, we're obeying Jesus. We're obeying him. And here's the thing. When he says, I will give you the Holy Spirit, the helper, you cannot get the Holy Spirit unless you've been declared holy. Okay? If God is a fire, a holy fire, if you are a combustible, consumable, I don't even know, 
if you if you're wood, let's if you are wood, that's that's much easier to say. Well, fire is gonna burn you up. You're gonna be gone. You need to be transformed, your substance. You need to go from that to something that can withstand, something that's pure, like metal, like gold. That's what the gospel promises. The only way the fire, the holiness of God, the Holy Spirit can come into you and me is we need to be transformed. We need to be turned into these butterflies, from caterpillars to butterflies. And through the baptismal waters, it represents that you've been born again. You've been given new life. That, that's the only reason you can have the Holy Spirit in you is because you have the status of being holy. Okay, so here's the first blessing of obedience is that you get Jesus' obedience when you become a Christian, which enables you to receive the Holy Spirit that empowers you to live a life of obedience. It's in a sense, as one theologian said, is you become who you already are. Can you see you need the gospel to live an obedient life to Jesus? I love what Hebrews 5 verse 8 to 9 says about Jesus. Although he was a son, son of the Father, he learned obedience through what he suffered. In other words, Jesus was not just suffering on the cross, but he said no to every temptation of sin and to disobey the Father, and he won every single battle for you and me. And it says, and being made perfect, there it is, he became, therefore, the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. <laughs> so in other words, Jesus can be the source of salvation for disobedient kids like you and me, because he was an obedient child to the Heavenly Father. You need Jesus if you want to win this obedience battle. And Romans 5, 19, my last verse for the, for the night says, For as by one man's disobedience, speaking of Adam, our great, great, great grandfather, for as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's, what does it say? obedience, the many will be made righteous. Here's the thing. You cannot obey your way into God's family. You can't. That's the gospel. You, 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 the, the, the challenge to you tonight, and to maybe you're listening online, is do not say, Lord, Lord, but then actually hear the accusation from the, from the father saying, I do not know you. In other words, he's saying, I don't know you as a son and a daughter. Why would he say that? Because he didn't save you. Because saving you by what Christ has done makes you a son and a daughter. That's the way in, to be an obedient child. You are made a child by what Jesus has done for you. The most ultimate obedient son of the Father can bring disobedient kids like us. His obedience gets credited to us. God's like, you're sorted. Gives you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit empowers you to live a life. That when you say, Lord, Lord, he's like, yeah, I know you. You're my son. You're my daughter. You've got my spirit in you. You have let my son save you. Friends, and if you're listening online, there is no proper obedience that leads to life that is void of what Jesus has done for you, the perfect obedient one. So that's the warning, and that's the ending. Okay, let's pray. <laughs> Lord, you are so good. Asking us to obey you, to be holy as you are holy, and we can initially just buckle under the weight of what it means to live for you. But then we get to the end. We realize, no, you are such a gracious God that you give us the tools in order to obey you. And we can't even get credit for following you because you enable us to do that. Thank you for your transformation that happens in us through the Spirit that you give also as a gift. The Spirit is called a gift. In other words, we don't even earn that. Everything that we have 
is because of the goodness of God, the generosity of God, the kindness and the mercies of God. And so, yes, we, we, we hear that appeal of Paul that says, by the mercies of God, offer up your bodies. Lord, it's because we understand the gospel and the gift that you've given us that the, the only appropriate response is like, what do you want us to do, Lord? Where do you want us to go? How do you want us to live? Would you empower us as a church to shine our light, that we would be salt and light as you kicked off your sermon on the mount, Lord? Because we do what the end of that sermon says, is we hear your words and we obey them and we find ourselves not just salt and light, but secure sons and daughters that can withstand whatever culture thrown at us because we live for you, we're shaped by you, we follow you, we are strengthened by you. We honor you, Jesus. And our, our lives are open. Take us, mold us, shape us. Let, let us be known as a church that are disciples devoted to Jesus. Because we obey you. We do what you say. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.